There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hi, fam, and welcome back to Reclaim Me. I am back after a two-week hiatus, and it is so good to be back and to share with you a brand new episode. Before I get into what this week's episode is on and who it is with, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who's been sending me messages, who's been writing reviews in this past two weeks as well. I have taken a bit of a step back from social media to give myself a very well-earned break, Um, but all of the sharing and everything and the commenting on on Instagram posts, the sharing to different friends, the writing reviews and leaving five-star reviews on Spotify and everything like that. I got tagged on Twitter the other day for the first time, which was brilliant. So please continue to do that. It really does help so much. And if you haven't already, then please invest a couple of minutes to go and do that to support the podcast and get this platform out there more. Next week's episodes, we should have some details. But if you want to stay up to date with all of the up-to-date things, make sure you do follow the podcast at least on Instagram, which is at Reclaim Me Pod, or myself at Madheat underscore on the Instagrams or on the Twitter, and you'll be able to receive all updates as we go. Now, in addition to that, there's a survivor support network, which I encourage you to go and utilize. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got some other online events coming up soon. We're organizing a trivia, which is going to be great for people to join and more. So please take the time, go rate, review, go join the network and find your other best friends. So yes, so there's a lot of stuff there that is available for you to use. Now, this week, we are going to be joined by Jess from the Better Sex Ed Project. This is a little bit of a different podcast than we would usually do. I mean, at the beginning, Jess does go into some of her own personal experiences and her reflections on those. But we also do take a lot of time in this episode to talk about sex to talk about self-pleasure, to talk about different ways of navigating that, especially after trauma. Now, Jess and I, neither of us are trauma-informed therapists or anything like that, so we're just having a very open discussion 
which I think is a really important concept that we don't hear often enough about when we're talking about sexual assault or healing from trauma. So just letting you know that this week's episode is a little bit different. There's a lot of talk about sex. There's a lot of talk about some funny things, and I probably share way too much. But for now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather, and today I'm joined by Jess. Welcome. Hello. How are you going? I'm so happy to have you on. Jess uh, and I met on Instagram. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. We just became um, flame twins within (laughs) each other's Instagram pages. There's always like... In a lot of ways, there's always like a comment by one of us on each other's posts as well, where I feel like you've become my hype girl. I'm your hype girl. (laughs) We have a lot of fun conversations. Um, And it's just what I love about social media, honestly, so much. Like there is so much shit in social media, but I feel like my algorithm is wonderful. I mostly get to meet and see other people that are wonderful and connect with other people. and, And you are absolutely no exception. So I'm just thrilled to have you on. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, I, I feel quite lucky that I just seem to only see things that work for me. That's why, you know, when people talk about things that upset them and like they rage follow people, I'm like, I don't see any of that. I just see the, all the stuff that I want, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, like I don't see any um, of these ads with like women being like, you get rid of cellulite now. I'm like, I follow curvy, voluptuous women. I follow fat women. I've got like my Instagram page makes me feel good. Like I've got people that are making me feel okay with my body. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Same. But Jess, people haven't met you and they don't know you like I do. Do you mind introducing Mm -hmm. yourself a little bit and then talking maybe a little bit about what you do? Sure. So I'm Jess. I'm 37. About to say 36 because I've just turned 37. Um, I'm a mum of three. I live in uh, Marutna, which is on Yorta Yorta land in Victoria. Um, I, about 18 months ago, I decided to start studying psychology. And I was also already looking at uh, a lot of sex education based material and like sex and pleasure material. And so I've decided that when I finish my psychology degree, I'm going to do my master's in sexology. So for the last year or so, I've had an account called the Better Sex Ed Project on Instagram. So, and it's grown to three and a half thousand followers, which is not huge, but it's enough. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I just talk about all things, sex, pleasure, relationships, bodies, everything. Um, I just wanted to create an inclusive space for anyone and everyone uh, who wants to talk about these things that are supposed to be taboo that we're not supposed to talk about, Um, especially because I live regionally. I'm sort of the first of my kind of account that a lot of the people that live near here follow. I know there's a lot of people like me uh, in cities and that kind of thing, but um, for some reason, I, I'm sort of the first person that a lot of these people have exposed to that talks about this stuff. So um, it's nice. I've been able to break people in, I guess, um, and answer a lot of questions that they have because they haven't had anyone to ask. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, people hear sex ed and they think, you know, what you would learn in high school penis, vagina, condom, that's it. Mm. And for a lot of people, that's all that it was. And I think it's expanding people's knowledge bases to understand that 
sex ed includes self-pleasure. It includes pleasure between partners. It includes um, people with vulvas, people with penises. It includes intersex people. It includes squirting. It includes, like, it's just the spectrum of what you can provide education on is just endless. It's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, I guess my main goal has been opening up the conversation, but also challenging the norms within that conversation because, yeah, I guess we just are quite a lot behind in a lot of ways um, regionally because people just don't have access to information about all sorts of different things that they absolutely should have. So um, I've just taken that on as my job. (laughs) And I love that. And it's so important because so many people, for example, have not looked at themselves in the mirror to see their vulvas or something. And 100%. people have told me different things. And I'm like, wow, like the, the level of education is so low there. But I feel like a lot of it is stooped in sex and our bodies being so taboo mm-hmm. to talk about. Absolutely. Like it's so shameful, never speak of this. And therefore we leave people in the lurch with potentially, you know, health issues potentially making very, very risky decisions without knowledge. Yeah, and it flows on into relationships as well. Um, There are so many people in relationships and their relationship is struggling because they cannot communicate about sex. And it's it's like this is the person you have chosen to spend the rest of your life with. You can't have a conversation about this because you have so much internalised shame. and if you could just have those conversations, you wouldn't be experiencing X, Y, and Z. It's, yeah, it's all connected. A hundred percent. And I've got a few people that I know in my life who have sought the, the assistance of a sexologist recently. Um, and these are scenarios that I find people find really shameful. Like one of them is a, a heterosexual couple, um, man and a woman that I know, and he doesn't have the same sex drive as her his is much lower and he feels inadequate not because she makes him feel inadequate it's not her problem it's his um and he's not lacking in size but he feels like he's not as good as the toys that they would use for example and there's a real level of self shame there but they've gone and they've sought this help and they're talking through it which I think yeah is so important because imagine how much that would fester on him. And it, t- when he told me about it, it got to the point where he literally was trying to avoid going to bed at night because he was mm. he was so hating of it. And then she was taking that as he doesn't find me attractive anymore. He must be getting it somewhere else. And it just spirals. Yeah. It's all because of that narrative, the narrative that men want sex all the time and women don't. That's That's that most basic narrative. And so, and that's that toxic masculinity coming into it where it's really not serving the men because he's the one suffering because he's sort of trying to live up to this expectation that he should always want sex at the drop of a hat and there's something wrong with him if he doesn't. He's not masculine enough if he doesn't. It's like, no, nobody wants it all the time, Um, you know, for so many reasons, it's so normal to have mismatched libidos in your relationship. It's, I would say, yeah. it's probably more common than not. And that's where the communication, as you just said, comes into it, right, where you've got to be able to meet people at different levels and be able to discuss things and navigate 
those boundaries and consent in a safe and, you know, productive way. Um, But what you just said as well, I think is so important in terms of how we, how we as a community see sexual assault in many ways as well. And the link that I just made there was, you know, when a lot of men do come forward, if they've been victims of females or women, the assumption from many men is that good on you, you know, that's good on you. Yeah. And that's so harmful to anybody who's been the victim of somebody like that to, for anybody who has had to hear that and be completely rejected and told that you should have enjoyed your abuse. I mean, it's just so incredibly harmful. 100%, you know, it's, yeah, there are so many things that we have been taught traditionally growing up that have really done nothing but cause harm, you know, and it's just trying to get people to understand that and that there are so many different ways to be rather than that one way that everybody was taught. And that might be like a good segue actually because we were just discussing um, before we started recording that you wanted to potentially share an experience that you had yourself when you were growing up and that it didn't. It took you until your children were the age that you were that you've kind of reflected on that differently. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, when you first asked me to come on, um, I was sort of, like, well, I'm not a trauma-informed therapist. I don't, I have not been um, a victim of sexual assault. So I was like, I didn't really know what to talk about. And um, for some reason it got me thinking and I ended up reflecting on this experience because uh, it's always it's something that I had kept to myself and I hadn't told anyone up until, you know, maybe a month ago, I told my husband who I've been with since I was 14 because I felt shame. And so I was like, okay, so why did I feel shame about this experience? Um, and essentially what happened was when I was young, I moved around a lot because my dad was in the bank. So I was always the new girl. So for a long period of time, I always had like no friends. Um, and this was like the mid nineties. So kids were pretty harsh back then like people say they're harsh now but they have nothing on kids in the mid 90s they were brutal um especially if you're like the new kid with glasses and like you weren't pretty and sporty um but yeah so I moved to um this town which is quite a large regional town in Victoria from a really really small town like I went from a school of 30 kids to like hundreds of kids and didn't have a heap of friends um didn't have a lot of confidence in myself and I made friends with the boy next door and he had a big family uh I think they had like five kids and a dad and I don't recall them having a mum. I'm sure they did but I don't recall ever seeing her but I remember he had a dad who was quite like I don't know I was always just quite intimidated by him and a bit scared of him he was quite gruff and I just is that one of those dads that you just stay away from? Um, and this boy and I, he was a lovely boy. He was like, yeah, two years older than me. We became really friendly. And, again, context, it was the mid-90s. So, like, you would just go over to a friend's house and you would walk around and go out all day and your parents didn't worry so much about where you were because we lived in, like, a like a big 
court like so there was a park and you could literally be gone for ages hours and your parents wouldn't care yeah and, we just had the rule like you have to be home when the street yeah. lights come on kind of thing yeah so it was no big deal um and so we would often be alone together and that kind of thing and he had these older siblings and um they started to encourage us to like be sexual with one another. So um, like I was yeah, nine, I think I was eight or nine and he was like 11 or 12. And I knew that that was not right. It's not something I wanted to do, but I also didn't know what to do um, because, you know, I just, I had friends and I just wanted to be accepted. And um, the, the older sister, I thought she was amazing. Like she was about 15 and I just thought she was the coolest, you know, and so she was quite forceful and would like shut us in a room and make us do stuff, um, physical things. And I just did it. And now I look back on my, at my daughters and, and they're 11 and 10. And I think how that's not right. Like there's no way that should have ever happened. Um, that's if that happened to them, I would die, you know, um and like I don't blame my parents because they why would you think anything was happening when your nine-year-old is hanging out with the kid next door um but yeah I just it I then it sort of made me form this idea that that's sort of how you know you made friends with boys and that kind of thing so then I always had this idea in my head that I'm just like this super sexual person and all this sort of thing whereas it's like well no you weren't actually you were just like a nine-year-old girl and then that happened and it yeah and I just never told anyone because I just felt I felt like I had done the wrong thing because I knew it wasn't right and that I would get in trouble um yeah until I realized that there's no way that that was my fault um but I also felt like odd about it because I was like well I don't feel like I was assaulted because I willingly like took part in it um and I wasn't hurt or anything like that, but I guess it's that that space where, you know, not all situations like that are the atypical or, you know, what you hear about in the news, but still they do have, you know, an ongoing effect on you emotionally. Absolutely. And I think what you've described is definitely a huge violation. You're a child. You can't consent as a child. There's no way that you can consent as a child. And the fact that this was with another child as well, under the peer pressure of other children, it makes the situation very difficult. But regardless, you were a child who was forced to do things that you did not want to do sexually, and that's not okay. And, you know, under any law, you would be completely valid in calling that assault. But Mm. A lot of people don't like that association as well, especially with the term victim survivor. And I think as well, you know, those are okay things to remove yourself from in those situations and say, this was a violation to my body or something violated something for me. You don't have to identify it as that, as long as we all understand that, you know, whether you felt you were a willing participant or not, you weren't able to consent because you're a kid and understanding that and giving yourself that empathy is just so important. Mm. And the other thing is it is so different and it's so interesting hearing you reflect on it because you can hear 
the kid and the rational reasoning that you've made at that age. And then you can hear the mum who's got life experience and care and consideration for others. And it's just, you know, sometimes we're so harsh on ourselves when we look back on situations in our lives with adult eyes, not saying that you're harsh, but you can just hear the difference in reflection points. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, I think I I never used to ever get upset about it, but when I was explaining it to my husband, I did because it just made me think that I felt really sorry for that little girl because that was that whole, you know, innocence taken in that sort of moment that, and I just think that how else would I have felt that I should, um, make friends in other ways, you know, as I got older and, you know, because I did end up becoming like a, like sexually active quite early. And um, despite I, the fact that I'm super sex positive and all of that, I don't actually think that that's ideal. Um, I, you know, we should encourage safer sex and that sort of thing for young people, but I definitely don't encourage entering sexual relationships at an early age. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I just feel sorry for that little girl and I just wish that she hadn't had that experience and that she could have just been a little girl playing with her friends without that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's completely warranted. And I think for you to be able to have that reflection, I think shows such a level of emotional maturity as well. Being able to like give that space for you in a child and that's a, th- a thing that I'm trying to learn for myself now as well. I always heard the term in a child and I was like, oh, it's hooey. Sounds, <laughs> you know, <laughs> way too like, but then you do actually hear people speak about it and you do need to give yourself empathy and, and care about that. You know, you can't just be like, oh, it's done now. It's, yeah. it's an incredibly powerful thing to have empathy for, for what she went through. Yeah, and I think looking at the work that I intend to do with children and that sort of thing and the way I speak to my own children about bodily autonomy, conversations we never really had, you know. I mean, we're always told no means no, don't, you know, don't let anyone touch you, your private parts of you. But we weren't taught consent in all sorts of ways, you know, not just those really graphic ways. Um, Yeah which is how we try and teach kids sex ed age appropriately from the start. It's all about consent. It's not about sex. It's about if you don't want to hug Nan, you don't have to hug Nan, you know, that kind of thing. Just that really simple stuff that if that's drilled into you from an early age, the older you get, you know, the more protective it becomes and the more confident you become as a person in saying, no, no, I actually, I don't want you in my space or, I'm not comfortable with this. Absolutely. And I think it's just so important. Like, yeah, you can teach consent without teaching sex. Yeah. Those two things are not the same thing. They're completely different. Um, And it's also kind of, it's giving somebody a tool. I think like any skill is a lesson that you've learned over and over and over again. And to have an ability to recognize your own boundaries and recognize consent as a as a skill set and as a something that is your innate boundary it is your innate thinking rather than something that you have to you know almost as if what you were saying there were you 
became sexual at an early age and, and, you know, felt like that this was something you putting in a boundary is like a retrospective thought that you've got to add in. Mm. I'm exactly the same. I mean, that was definitely something that was harped into us. And we used to just gross stories from high school. I remember on MSN messenger, one of the guys asked me, uh, if I was frigid and I just come from um, an all girls school and I'd never even kissed a boy. So I messaged one of the other girls and I said like, what does this mean? And she was like, oh, it means like, would you be willing to do stuff? And I was so scandalized because I was like, oh my God, like, and I was sweating. So I was like, this is, but I want him to think I'm cool. So I was like, like totally. <laughs> like it was just, I, I'm like looking back yeah. on it now and I'm like, isn't that crazy to think that like, I was trying to impress him and I, yeah. he didn't even ask me anything. It's he was crazy. just, it's, you know, it's exactly what you would expect when we were taught the way we were taught. Yeah. Um, I had a similar situation actually. Again, I was moving from one town to another. I was 14 and having a going away party and MSN messenger. And there was a boy that I liked. He was actually younger than me, but he was bad news. And um, he was like, yeah. I'll come if you give me head. Like at this point I had, so he was 13, I was 14. And at this point, I mean, other than that other experience that I'd had or had not had any sort of experience, but immediately I was like, yeah, okay, you know, I'll do that because, well, I wanted him to come to my party. It's like that is just wild to me now to think of that. But that was just, and I, you know, and then we, we're in a place and we kissed and I didn't and then he hated me so and then talked shit about me so and that that was standard that was just you know that was just what was done it's like it's like the internalized misogyny of it all because I would even remember like hating on girls who did that while knowing that I was being subjected to the same standards like yeah definitely it's like the lesser evil, like, oh, at least they're, they're picking on her, they won't pick on me kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. It's- but it was. It was so much like that. I actually remember, like, my first ever boyfriend, I was 14, and this was just following my sexual assault. Like, the the first date that we went on was actually that night. Um, And I always considered him probably my greatest love because he really did support me in a way that nobody else could could ever. And we still are in touch here and there. Um. Like we've both moved on, we don't catch up anymore. But he's, yeah. we've both been such a big part of each other's lives, having to go through court and stuff. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like we were dating for a while, and I obviously didn't want to have sex. I, I'd just gone through a severe assault. I'd just gone through all of this other stuff. But a couple of his really close mates were also had girlfriends that were friends with me. So it was like a group of us, and everywhere that we went, because they'd all had sex, they would chant in front of me. Like they would chant, like he wouldn't chant, but he would laugh and be like, oh, they're just joking around. But they would be like, fuck him, fuck him. And it was just like the peer pressure of being told that you have to. And also for people to have that level of insight into your relationship. Like even though it's 14, it's just like you shouldn't know every in and out of what goes and happens between us. It was just, it was absolutely bonkers. Yeah. How did you deal with that? How did you cope with that? 
I think I was quite upset. And I think actually somebody, one of the other guys had said to me, it's not like you haven't had sex already, which was in oh. reference to the sexual assault. What? And But these are guys, like, they were so cool and they were, like, the hot guys in school. And reflecting on that now obviously was damaging and horrible and it was upsetting. And But, yeah, in the group of girls and stuff, when we would talk about it, they'd be like, oh, they're such dicks. But, like, we wanted their approval. We wanted to be cool. We wanted them to come to our parties. We wanted to hang out with them on the weekend. Like, it was such a prevalent thing for sexual assaults to happen in the community I was in. And I don't think a lot of the people that would consider what they went through sexual assault, but it is that like peer pressure, coercion, um, bribing, like it, it's not an okay situation to be basically put peer pressured into doing something because you don't want to be bullied at school. Or guilted by yeah. the boy. Oh, come on, you know, like you can't tease me, you know, all that. And this is where the sex ed becomes so important as well because I learned that a lot of people thought that blue balls was a serious condition. And guys were saying to these, like, primarily young women, um, you know, you can't do that. I'm going to get blue balls. It's really dangerous. Like, it's painful, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> that's that's not true. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, no, it's actually the I had a live chat with Christina Mar- uh, Katrina, sorry, Marson, who wrote Legitimate Expectations, and her book really goes into a lot of those situations and talks a lot about how young men just seem to think that they have a what well, they're raised to believe that they have a right to sex, and that their sexual experience is the important experience, and all of those things, and how if we don't change that, how are we ever going to move forward into a world with less sexual assault. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And it's dealing with that entitlement and the difference between how we treat different, um, like the gender reveal, the whole everything. Yeah. Like Don't even. it's, it's, I, so can't. I know. <laughs> I, can't. I lost a, I lost a follower. A lady was like, when I, I just posted something once about, uh, it wasn't even that bad than what I'd said, you know, something about just not liking them she's just like well can I ask why and I was like oh you know and told her why and I just don't think it's appropriate it's not necessary and you know it doesn't really matter at the end of the day and she's like I think now's the time that I need to stop following you and I was like peace out (laughs) okay geez no don't go oh no I mean, other than the fact that they've caused, like, deaths, they've caused fires, they've contaminated, like, they've killed people. Like, it's it's a stupid thing to celebrate somebody's genitals. Yeah. Which a whole. They're actually doing. They're not celebrating their gender because it's not decided yet. Yeah, but it's also, like. You're con- like, what would happen if their child was intersex? Would they just cancel exactly. the gender reveal party? I've not yeah. seen a, we've got an intersex baby like that. I'd be yeah. all for that. Like, yes, yeah, we're going to normal. Woohoo. Like, yeah, let's deal Here. with that. Let- let's talk about that and normalize that. I don't want to give a fuck about somebody's baby being, having pink bows or a blue toy car. And I- I've only seen this, like, I'm not a parent myself and I'm trying not to force my personal views on my family. But also, I'm right. So, <laughs> but also, listen up, guys. <laughs> like, I even got like shit given to me 
because I, I, I'm, I love anatomy and physiology. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. And I would like to think that I would be able to share my love for anatomy and physiology with any child in my life and be somebody that could teach them about the bones of the human body and the muscles and things like that. So I got um, a human body skeleton. It was like a kid's one that I thought you could just, um, uh, sorry, a poster. I thought you could just pop it like on the back of the toilet door kind of thing. Hmm. But it's just a human skeleton with different colored bones. Yeah. And it just says like thigh bone and in brackets femur. So it's literally four kids. It's not an anatomical thing. It's a kid's diagram. And yeah, my sister's partner said to me, oh, what is it? Uh, one of those they, them kind of <laughs> started to like go at me. And I was just like, you just like yeah, his son, you like my nephew, just nowhere. I know it was like out of nothing. Suddenly I'm being like having to go, having had a go at. And then, yeah, then somebody bought, this was like on Christmas, I think. And then somebody bought my nephew a garbage truck. And I was just like, look, I'm totally fine with this. Like if you, if he wants to play with trucks, that's fine. But it would be out of bounds if I was to buy him a doll. Yeah. I'm like, what's with that though? Seriously. What yeah, is with that? Are we, are we scared if I get him a doll, he's going to be gay? Yeah, and then what's the issue? Like, what's the problem with that? <laughs> yeah, or or he might want to like be a dad and care for a child one day. Um, again, what's the issue? Like, yeah, it's wild. I just can't like, yeah, I can't wrap my head around. My brain doesn't work on that level at all. Um, and I'm I don't when I say stuff about gender reveals, I'm not coming for people if they've had one. If you've had one, you have one you know, whatever, but maybe just don't have another one. Like, you know, don't have one for the next one. <laughs> I'd be so happy for you to celebrate celebrate the announcement of your child. Yeah. Just do that. Shower. You Fine. could do that and have a baby shower because people do both now. Celebrate the yeah. announcement and then celebrate the pre-announcement. <laughs> the pre- I know, seriously. It's a lot. <laughs> so- I mean, let's not encourage that. But like, just I'm just trying to make one. sure that I'm not I'm not taking anything away from anybody. But you're you a mother; one. you can say that. <laughs> you get one, but it's not allowed to be a gender reveal, okay? Yeah, <laughs> you choose. Also, I'm just like dead set, ready to sign up myself for like a sologamy marriage to myself. <laughs> like I feel like I've become yeah. Carrie Bradshaw out of Sex and the City when she does that um, solo registry. I never watched Sex and the City. No? Okay, so. Like the one person. It's not worth it now at the time. And actually that also fed into that narrative. It was actually very, mm-hmm. watching a few episodes now, I'm like, this is cooked. But um, <laughs> basically she goes to her friend's house and they've got kids and she's got very expensive shoes that get stolen. And then she has this reflection and she goes, because her friend wouldn't replace the shoes. And then she has this reflection. She goes, I've given her thousands of dollars over the years in you know, her engagement present, her wedding present, her children's like christenings, everything. I've given her thousands of dollars and she can't replace my fucking shoes. And then she does like a self actually. Yeah. So she does like a um, registry and she registers at the shoe store and she's the only woman who's invited to pay (laughs) for the registry. Like it's pretty like, but I mean, it, it is also like one thing that I do like talking about because we hold so much value in women's lives around purity and around not being sexual beings, not having sex, 
and definitely not being sex positive. Like that is just outrageous in so many ways. But then also to not have your own children and to not not meet the need meet the standard I don't know societal norms of what a woman should be and there's no way to celebrate that like other than a birthday here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you can't, yeah, I understand what you're saying. You can't win. We're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't, basically. Basically. But we are here to talk about um, the the sex side of things and the positivity yeah. side of things. And and one of the things I really wanted to speak with you about originally was just having an open conversation on this platform with somebody about sex mm-hmm. and sexual activity and things to do with self-pleasure and pleasure in any way, whether you are um, LGBTQIA+, whether you have any kind of genitals, it doesn't really matter, you know, whatever you identify as, it's for every person, even somebody who is asexual will seek gratification in many different ways. And I think it's important to open up, not only a conversation for all people listening because all people are deserving of pleasure in different ways, but I really wanted to open up a discussion around what sex can look like after abuse. Um, and do, we do want to make the statement that neither of us are trained professionals in trauma for no. this specific topic. Um, but right. the reason I wanted to have you on here was because you speak so eloquently and so openly about sex in such a positive way. Um, I thought it would just be a good discussion to have to explore some ideas about if somebody is 
struggling following a sexual assault or struggling following any trauma, maybe some ways that they might navigate that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it it goes hand in hand with how ideally we would approach sex anyway. So um, we have this obviously very heteronormative uh, traditional idea that sex is between a man and a woman and it's only really valid if it's, um, you know, penetration, penis in the vagina, anything else is either, you know, just the lead up to that or an extra um, and it has to have orgasm and an orgasm for the man usually um, and that's kind of what sex is. But, like, that is 100% like one small aspect of sex and intimacy that's the other thing that people sort of forget is that in order to have good sex, you have to have intimacy. Um, and that doesn't have to be with a husband and a wife. It can be with any, what, whoever your sexual partner is. There has to be a level of intimacy and emotional understanding, even if it's brief, if it's someone you've just met, there's going to be something, an understanding, a trust and all that sort of thing. So ideally people, I mean, I talked about it the other day, um, your biggest sex organ is your brain. So you're not going to be able to be aroused physically if you're not aroused in some way mentally. And the biggest factor in that is feeling safe um, and sort of being comfortable with the person you're with. So ideally in all relationships, this would be the way we all feel whenever we have any sort of sexual encounter. And so if you're somebody who has experienced sexual assault, hopefully you're in a a relationship where that is first and foremost. You feel safe with the person that you're with and you feel understood and you feel comfortable. And we forget about penetration. You know, like it doesn't, that's something that can happen. It's an option, but it's definitely not the only option. Um, I always talk to or to couples or in general about couples needing to have experience of intimacy without the expectation of sex. So that means actually finding what it is you enjoy doing together that isn't sex, that actually just makes you feel good. And if you feel good as a couple, you're probably going to end up wanting sex or you're much more likely to want to do that or be sexual. But you have to focus on those things first. So like my advice would be just go super slow and be the communication has to be really open, um, which can be hard as well. So I understand that, that if we're talking about just intimacy without the expectation of sex at first, it might even be easier to have communication surrounding that. And then leading into things like, you know, you actually had a really great suggestion with the audio porn. You know, you could just yes. listen to audio porn together and you just take these baby steps like of then just being naked together and then, you know, just really gradual, slow, lots of talking and just see where it leads you and just have no expectations and no pressure on yourself or your partner if they're the person who's experienced the assault. Yeah. And I'd say as well, like for 
you know, navigating sex, if you are in a situation where you feel like your partner won't allow for these things to happen because they have things and I want you to question whether you feel safe or not in that because exactly somebody to pressure you when you don't feel that's not okay that's another form of abuse and 100%. you know I'm not saying that you have to leave I'm just saying think about the fact that you that that should be an expectation that somebody would not have you don't have to perform any certain ways and oh, your partner ideally should help you navigate these situations um but also saying partner doesn't necessarily mean uh husband yes, wife that's partner right. means sexual Who partner you're having sex with yeah i know yeah. I, I use the word partner so uh liberally it's yeah but i always just mean the person you're having sex with not your your you know husband or wife or boyfriend significant whatever Yes. Significant other. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I love that. But I think that that's why, yeah, that having it in your mind that in order to be aroused, you need to feel safe. Like that's the first step. If you don't feel safe or comfortable, then that's something you've got to question to yeah. start with. And that goes into two things that I often hear when people talk about sex lives after abuse is people talk about this phenomenon of hypersexuality and hyposexuality and I just want to like clarify the hyper hypo thing because I feel like that's been that's become a bit of a myth I'm not saying that people can't become hypersexual or can't their libido might increase significantly or decrease significantly both of those things are completely normal and okay within everybody's um homeostasis but what I often hear as hypersexuality is somebody who is doing risk-taking behavior as a trauma response, not somebody who has an increased sexual drive. And I yeah. think those are two distinctions that I want to make. Neither of them mm-hmm. are to be shamed upon. Neither of them mean anything. It's just to say that somebody who is engaging in risk-taking behavior may be experiencing a trauma response Yes. In the same way that the sexuality one would as well, but these are just as a friend or a carer or somebody who loves somebody who is going through this to be aware of. Is this actually somebody who is risk-taking because they don't want somebody to take it away from them again, their control, so they're taking it back? Or is this somebody who is, you know, experiencing a higher libido? I don't want to pathologize these people in a way, but I wanted yeah. to distinguish those two things. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and everyone's going to have a totally different reaction. Um, and I just think it, it just calls for a lot more understanding on behalf of the other person, you know, the partner or friend or whoever. Um, and I think to seek help from, um, professionals when it comes to that sort of thing, because nobody gets a script, nobody gets told this is exactly how you're supposed to deal with this situation either. Um, and that's where I think um, I think most people who are trauma-informed counsellors, they they really state it quite clearly. Um, so, and there are a lot now, um, not so many regionally, but more so in the cities in Melbourne, definitely. And a lot of sexologists are trauma-informed too. And I think that would just be so beneficial to um, somebody who has had experience sexual assault to see perhaps a sexologist not just a psychologist 
um, because psychologists are fantastic in their area, but sexology is much more specific to sexual issues and understanding why we feel the way we feel, how arousal works. Um, there's um, also some great people who do a lot of uh, sexological body work as well that works on the nervous system and the fight and flight response and all of these things come into it that wow. an actual psychologist probably isn't going to do. Um, they may recommend you to somebody else but or a, a counsellor that you may see initially, like they're not going to necessarily have those tools. So it is worth looking at, you know, a sexologist, um, sexological body worker, somatic sexologist, those sorts of things, um, because they can work on those internal systems to help you regulate again and help you let your body know that you're no longer in danger when you're entering those situations. Absolutely. And it is like so true. And each person's mindset. So it's going to be really difficult because they're not talking about a specific scenario, but mm. to be quite broad and specific at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I completely agree with that in the sense as well that, you know, putting your sexual pleasure first, I mean, funding wise and having the money to do it, I can understand why sexology for people wouldn't be your number one, but your ongoing access to pleasure throughout your life shouldn't be impacted um, because, but you have had a huge trauma in that realm and that needs to be acknowledged too. Like, you know, say if having children in your future is something that you want or something like that and it terrifies you or there are so many different scenarios that we could go into, but it is acknowledging that it's not just sex. And so for some people, sex isn't that important maybe, but this is the whole level of being safety in your body and having freedom to do something without living in the trauma of it. Like if you met somebody and you're like this guy or girl or they, them, anything is really hot and I'd like to fool around a little bit to feel free to do that rather than feeling, Oh no, I hope I don't get triggered or, Oh no, like, yeah, you know, I'm worried or, you know, I think those are things that we need to openly talk about. And I did want to say, actually, like one of my triggers, it's a bit graphic, sorry. Um, but I literally only kind of had this discovery recently. Um, during my assault, the man in question, the man who abused me, uh, orally abused me. And I was a child and I was just going through puberty. I was not uh, removing my pubic hair in any way. Yeah. So I had pubic hair and he's there was a very specific sensation with that. Then, you know, in a recent sexual encounter that I had, which was awesome, by the way, um, I haven't been, you know, grooming myself like that because also I'm starting to feel like I shouldn't have to look like a child and I'm allowing myself to grow my pubic hair and everything. And then that happened and and there was that sensation. And I I just kind of was like, I'm just going to go to the toilet (laughs) and, it triggered me. It did. Mm-hmm. It didn't put me into a position where I was paralyzed. It didn't ruin the encounter completely, but it was just a reflection for me on the fact that no matter how far you've come, you may be encountering different things in different ways that might trigger you and might upset you. And to have the confidence and the comfortability to stop what's going on, to take a break, 
to have a check-in. You don't have to yeah. say that. I didn't tell the person what was going on, but I didn't feel like I needed to. I felt safe. And that's the importance of yeah. that safety aspect that you feel. You didn't feel like you had to just push through, just deal with it, which would have just, that would have then made your experience pretty shit probably. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it can even be as simple as um, the person that I know who had experienced sexual assault uh, and is now a mother can't even stand being touched by her children just as a hug, you know, and that sort of thing. So, and that's that's pretty heartbreaking for her being their mum. So it's not always overtly sexual touch either. It's just touch in general and trying to turn your nervous system back and put it back into its normal state and not feel uh, that, you know, physically triggered, you know, every time somebody, anybody touches you. Yeah. It's so important. But Absolutely. it doesn't necessarily have to be the first thing you think of if, you you know, you've been assaulted and you've dealt with these things and go, well, right now I have to see a sexologist, you know, or it's just sort of like they're there for when you are ready. Yeah. And it's not a conversation that everyone is having around sexology and the fact that this service even exists. So, you know, another reason I think to have this conversation is for listeners all over the world. Like if you have been experiencing some blockers, if you have been feeling like you're, you know, you're in a situation like there is services out there that aren't sex workers. They're not, this isn't seeking sexual gratification from somebody. This is having a very open, honest conversation like you would with a doctor. They're professionals. You're going to say the yeah. words come and things like that. And they're not going to yeah. giggle. They're going to be like, yes, yeah. okay, come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say more. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> you know, just yeah, and? <laughs> not a big deal for them. <laughs> like, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it is. A conversation that is starting to be had, but yeah, we just need to, like I said, just get it out there so people know. And I think one of the very few good things that came from COVID was that now a lot of professionals like that are offering Zoom consults. So, you know, it used to be regionally, it'd be like, well, there's none that live here and I don't want to travel to Melbourne. It's like, well, that's fine because now you can have a Zoom consult for some like body workers, obviously, that's not going to work as well. But, um, for sexologists and that sort of thing, it's fine. Yeah. So, you know, that's one good thing from COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. We've definitely expanded our capabilities Mm -hmm. technology-wise. But I think one thing, as I was talking to you about what we could discuss, you know, it was really around like, as well, like whether your, whatever your gender identity is, you know, if let's say penetration for you is something that you find quite scary. Mm -hmm. I wanted to like really have a chat in more detail around things that people might do in different ways to explore. And I think some people just get stuck in the habit of watching the same kind of genre of porn that they enjoy Um, since they've been like 14 or 15 or whenever they started watching it and they haven't personally explored other options. So the fear of sex and the fear of intimacy, I think is because you have such a binary focus on it. 100%. Yeah, and we did mention before audio porn, um, and I think you know, let's say penetration is something that you're 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 not ready to explore, kind of yet. Yeah, what might exploring different options look like? Um, 
I think one of the best and most underrated things that you could do with a sexual partner is mutual masturbation because uh, especially in this situation, so you're still in control, you're the person touching yourself, you know, nobody else is doing that. But you're also showing that sexual partner how you like to be touched because when you get with someone, you don't know how they like to be touched. They might not necessarily like what you like, um, you know, and whether it's same gender, different gender, whatever, it doesn't really matter. It's just mutual masturbation is a really great tool because it's, I don't know, it, in a way it's it, sometimes it feels more intimate than sex in a, a funny way because you're really, you are being vulnerable by showing them what you like and how you like to do it. But, you know, both of you are learning from each other as well, but you're still in control. So I think that's probably a really good one to start with. Um, mm. And I feel like you could really play around with vulnerability there as well with nudity. Like, is it yeah. lights on, lights off? Is it sheets on, uh, sheets off? Like, is it half on, half off? Do we take it Absolutely. off halfway because we feel safe and comfortable? Like, there could definitely be, I feel, a progression for somebody who's really at the end of going, like, I don't know how to navigate this space to this might be something I could dip my toe in. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. There's so many options. Um, I think that's a really good one. And, you know, you can use visual aids. You could do it while you're listening to, you know, an audio story or something like that. And I think what people need to get into their heads is that that's sex that's valid it's not like well yeah we've we've done that in front of each other but we haven't had sex yet it's like no you you just haven't had intercourse like and that's just a word like you have had sex you've had a sexual experience with someone you've connected that's what's important um I think we really need to just change the narrative around what sex is and validate all forms of sexual intimacy for couples because it's going to be different for everybody um and your form is no more valid than mine than it is to the next person um and i think as couples we need to get that into our head as well you know whether you're doing it once a month once a year 10 times a week whatever what's right for you is what's right for you so and it same goes with what you're doing absolutely and I think as well, like, I'm just thinking about that, like, mutual masturbation topic because that's actually something I've never even, I mean, like, as a concept, I know what it means, but I've never thought about, like, oh, that would be a good way to explore. Like, that's awesome. Like, I think that's actually really, really cool. Like, a great idea because I think as well, so many people have experienced sexual assault. One of the biggest traumas is the lack of power and the loss of power and to, exactly. to obtain that. But also I feel like it removes performance anxiety as well. Like you don't have to be the best at, you know, any of the acts because you're doing them to yourself. So there's like, there's a freeness there. That's really cool. (laughs) Yeah. It removes that whole anxiety part of it, which is huge for some people. Yeah. And then obviously, I mean, before you even go on to doing any other kind of sexual act, you could incorporate toys, which is always good Um, and might be a really good way to eventually introduce penetration. Um, through using the mutual masturbation because you're still in control of that penetration when it happens. Absolutely. And I actually had somebody message me the other day 
because they've seen a lot of women talking about the Satisfier Pro 2 or Sati Pro. Oh, I know. Everyone's obsessed. <laughs> it's I don't get it, but. I am obsessed. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But, like, I just, like, for people to not know what that means is I'm like, this opens up a wonderful discussion around you, the use of toys not having to be penetrative as well, but as a yes. bridger as well. Like, it doesn't, you know, Satisfy Pro is a, a sex toy that basically does a sucking action on the yes. clit area and a vibrating action. So some people, like myself, love it. Some yeah. people... Like one of my mates is very, uh, gets a lot more pr- pleasure from penetration. Yeah. So she's just like, it's not my thing. I don't really care. I'm like, yeah. that's great for you. Why yeah. like, whatever. <laughs> but that's again, like, we're all very different. But I think as well, like, it just, there are a lot of men that didn't, or people who have sex with women or uh, vulva owners that didn't have the understanding that that was even a thing. And again, I think it's yeah. just it's just the power you can give somebody by having a discussion like this in saying that for a woman to orgasm or sorry, for a vulva owner to orgasm, there does not need to be penetration. Nope. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not for most people. Not every time anyway. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, that in itself is quite earth shattering for some people. And the yeah, fact and it- that often like a good 70 odd percent of the time penetration alone will not give them an orgasm so they're wondering yeah why they never have an orgasm in doggy it's like well unless they're stimulating themselves or you know something like that or they're one of those you know lesser percentages that do orgasm straight up from penetration alone yeah they're not going to and you should be concerned about that yeah (laughs) yeah you should care um, that would be a great place for the Satisfier Pro to be used. <laughs> Stocky, exactly. Like, Although perfect. I feel like with those ones, the placement is so sp- needs to be quite specific. So I I feel like with any sort of like um, penetration and like motion, it kind of throws a, that off a bit. Yeah. Just personally for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, can, it definitely because you've got it. Otherwise, it moves and yeah, there's yeah, a whole level of navigating. Specific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 100%. And I think that that's the other thing is that, like if you are a vulva owner and you've been through an assault, there is so much that you can do pleasure wise for yourself as well without needing penetration. And absolutely. I think the expectation that we'll provide penetration as a service in some ways to a partner is a misnomer and a misconception. And, you know, I think it's a boundary we should all hold that whatever we want and whatever pleases us is what we need to do. And that's within the boundaries of consent um, and the boundaries we set ourselves. And, you know, if you're... Yeah, 100%. Like, I'm not going back to being that girl that's going to be chanted at. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. That's the same. We should all be doing that. But that's within the boundaries of consent of the other person or people as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think when I say by the standards we set, the standards we set for a partner. So not being with somebody if they don't value your pleasure, basically. Um, I'm pretty strong on that. So if you're with somebody who doesn't really care whether like not that one thing is it's like um we are a very orgasm centric society we focus on orgasm all the time you can have incredible sex without having an orgasm that's really important 
as well to note. But if your partner doesn't care whether you ever orgasm, that's a problem, you know, or if they feel like they should have some sort of control about how you do it, i.e., yeah, they'd like you to, but they don't want you to use a toy or they don't want you to masturbate um, without them or something like that, fuck that. Yeah. Boy, bye. Like, no way. And that was actually, like, when I referenced the person I knew earlier, he would have a lot of issues around his partner self-pleasuring during that because he felt inadequate. He felt like he wasn't doing a good enough job. And this comes down to a deep-seated, I think, insecurity issue on his behalf, and it's not something that she's doing wrong, but it is also denying her pleasure. And, you know, I think that's something that I'm glad they started to see a sexologist about because it is about that yeah and I feel like he will go from that to a psychologist to work through whatever's going on there because it is pervasive yeah but it's exactly right and I think but it's good he should obviously got the insight yeah Yeah, he's got the insight to know that this is a me problem I need to deal with this um because this isn't fair there are plenty out there who have not got that insight and they're just like well no I don't want them doing that because they shouldn't yeah. And it ends there. Well, that's the stigma as well. And that's the the common conception that sex ends when he comes as well. Like that's, it's so beyond ridiculous that that's the standards that we set, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways to do things, but for the, I would like to any penis owner listening, especially penis owners who have sex with vulva owners, to have the foresight and thought, just think, do you instantly stop sex when you come? Hmm. And if that is the case, have you ever considered that they weren't ready to stop? Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be the continuation of penetration as well. Like this is about an that's ongoing right. pleasurable experience. Exactly. And that that's expanding that idea of what sex is. It's like, okay, so, all right, you can't keep going with penetration. That's fine. Go down on it. Do something, anything, yeah. you know, just keep it alive. And ask as well, though. Like it doesn't have to exactly. be an unspoken thing. You can say, like, do you feel like finishing now? Would you like me to keep going? Is it okay yeah. if I do? Like this exactly. is a consent is sexy. Yes. And it's so hot when people are like, does this, does this feel okay? Are you enjoying this? Do you feel safe in this position? Like what? <laughs> yes, I do. I- yeah, but this here, like you know, yeah, it's actually really because obviously I've been having sex with the same person for a really long time, so <laughs> like we kind of know these things without having to ask. But you know, in recent encounters and that kind of thing that we've had um, with other people, it's been it's been fun to be able to exercise those, you know, questions and ask those questions of other people and. Yeah, I've really enjoyed that and I like it when I'm I like it when I'm asked those sorts of things. I don't like being asked like so what do you want to do now? <laughs> I hate yeah. that because I hate making decisions. Yeah. <laughs> I totally feel you. And I think yeah. the other the other one as well like it opens up pleasure in a different way, I feel, because you've got a verbal feedback in a different format. Like when you open your mouth and it's not just a silent like <laughs> sorry, open your mouth. Here we are talking about sex. <laughs> but when <laughs> when you verbalise to somebody like, like 
um, does this feel okay? Is this placement okay? Is it okay if I do this? You're opening up that feedback loop for somebody to like Mm -hmm. really show you that they're enjoying themselves. And that in itself is so wildly pleasurable for so many people to know that they're doing a wonderful job. And that like, you get more confidence when you're feeling that. So to be consistently checking in is to give yourself the best odds of having incredibly successfully pleasurable sex in whatever format that looks like. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, and once people start to do that, they learn how much better communication can work for them. It just continues to get better and better and better. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Yeah, I think it's just an incredibly important topic to for other people to know that if they do feel shame or if they do feel bad about their bodies or if they are experiencing things like vaginismus even um, mm. following a sexual assault, um, do you actually, would you mind talking a little bit about vaginismus? I think you did a thing on that the other day, didn't you, a post? Mm. Yeah, so um, it is more common than people think um, and you can either have sort of primary or secondary vaginismus. So um, primary is when there's sort of no um, known prior cause, so like no psychological trauma or sexual trauma or anything like that, um, and somebody just has an incredibly tight pelvic floor, so penetration of any kind can be quite painful. Um, or there's the secondary kind that, you know, can come about in a physical and emotional sense, I guess. And, like, I'm obviously not a sexual health doctor or anything like that but um that's like a very simplified version of it so um but that's what where sexologists really come into their power is working with people who have conditions like vaginismus and working through uh, the reasons that they may feel that way and that it all starts with you know safety and you know our brain and feeling like 
we can become aroused and we're safe and we're comfortable and because that then allows us to relax and you also have to work through certain things like the expectation of pain so uh, often if you expect something to be painful you're going to tense and you're not going to be able to relax so you know there's those sorts of things that you have to work through as well yeah absolutely and I think it's just trying to reiterate to people that it is a condition and mm, it does absolutely. manifest itself as as a pain as as painful yes, um definitely. and so it's not just it's not just you and it is something that can be treated um and yeah I think what I wanted people just to get out of this was the feeling of safety and comfortability in talking about pleasure self-pleasure you know there's nothing that will stop you you know from navigating what you can touch within yourself you might have triggers around your breasts or your shoulders or your hips or something because of your triggers or experiences and in a self-pleasurable way you might be able to start to break those down somewhat and work through Mm -hmm. self-pleasure and tip the toe in the pool with the mutual masturbation or try to engage in sexual activity that isn't penetrative if that's what is a barrier for you and have that as something that you can work towards but doesn't have to ultimately be a goal. The goal I think here is for people to feel safe, like you said, and to be comfortable enough to actually receive and feel pleasure in whatever format that is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like I said, just being being naked together without that expectation of anything else and, you know, that sort of thing can be helpful as well. That liberation in, because I know so many of us have so much issues with our bodies and how we look and, you know, to feel comfortable with somebody naked is a bloody gift. Oh, so yeah. I feel yeah, as Absolutely. a as a challenge as well, like it's just to be naked around each other and for that not to be a sexual thing. But, you know, if yes. you can feel comfortable, imagine how much more safe you're going to feel when you're entering into something that is sexual. And, yeah, you're inevitably going to enjoy yourself more. Absolutely. Because you're not thinking, especially myself and my own experience, I've definitely done like being like, oh my God, my my stomach is so big or yeah. oh my God, my cellulite or Thanks. I'm going to turn the light yeah. off because I don't want to be seen or like some, my boobs look so bad when I'm on my back or like, you know, you're just yeah. like. All of the above. <laughs> yeah. They, these are things and like, instead of thinking about what's happening to you and enjoying it, you're worried about something that somebody's most likely not noticed or thinking about in any way. Or- they think looks amazing and and that's then going to be your biggest barrier to, you know, being able to really enjoy yourself. Yeah. Um, But thank you so much for coming on. I mean, I could talk to you forever about these topics. I think Yes. I just as an entry level for people, I think it's amazing. And um, what I will do is pop in the show notes for this episode, some links to maybe some articles on vaginismus and different things, Mm -hmm. but also any uh, links towards your profile where people can go and follow you and consistently receive this education that you're providing and this sex positivity and this um, everything. So it's called the Better Sex Ed. Is that the project? Yeah, yeah, the Better Sex Ed project. Um, I'm glad that you said that because I thought it was sexed. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Better Sex Ed Project. (laughs) Um, But I love that. So I think that's an an incredible thing that you're doing and it's incredible stigma that you're breaking down. And 
by destigmatizing life after abuse, by destigmatizing sex after abuse, so I think it just gives people another fulfillment that they can strive for. You know, Absolutely. there is so much life after abuse and, you know, your pleasure should be a big part of that in whatever format that looks like. Um, and I will put some links in the show notes as well for suggestions. I mean, I could probably chuck the Satisfyer Pro link in there. I don't have any. Definitely discount codes but i could definitely also chuck in a link to dipsy which i would definitely recommend there's a free version of dipsy which is the audio porn that we were talking about which is ethical it is voiced by mostly black and indigenous people um and it's it's saucy they've got lgbtqia plus friendly ones they've got different scenes and they're they're just basically audio scenarios that go on and it is spicy yeah awesome yeah i'll definitely check that one out Cool. I love it. But thank you so much. Was there anything that you wanted to go over, Jess, before we wrap up? No, I think we've covered it all really well. Wonderful. You're an absolute angel. Um, and thank you for the work that you do and continue to do. Um, I'll have to I'll have to get you down to Melbourne for a cocktail. Yes, absolutely. That would be fun. <laughs> I love it so Thanks much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Jess. And thank you for listening to Reclaim Me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye.